Thanks be to God. Hey, you may be seated, everyone. All right. Uh, last week, we actually started this message series called The Church We Hope For, and we're talking about the values that hopefully inform who we aspire to be as well as how we want to live here in the city as a church community together. And so to actually begin this sermon, I thought we would start in a different kind of way, um, and it might be a little bit of a risk for some of you, but I would love for you, I'm going to ask this question, I'm going to invite you to get kind of turn to your neighbors in groups of two to three, and the question is basically this. When you think of this question of paradise, whether places that you've ever been, that word paradise, if you could go ahead and share with people in groups of two to three, tell me what paradise was like for you, and you can tell the location and where you were, or if there's a place that you could, when you think about that word paradise, what kind of comes up in your own mind uh, and heart, okay? So go ahead and turn to groups of two to three. Go, you can in, in, introduce yourself to other people. If you're someone who prefer not to share, just say to the person, hey, nice to meet you. I'm going to opt out of this, all right? So that's okay as well, all right? So feel free to do that, groups of two to three. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell me what paradise is for you. If you've ever been to paradise, what was it like? Go ahead. All right. Hey, would anyone like to share? You can just blurt it out, raise your hand, whatever you'd like. Paradise, what are some of the places that you guys shared? Anyone? Anyone like to share? Just blurt it out. Maui. Maui. Yes, Hawaii. Come on. Let's go. Yes, Pilgrim Pines, a camp up in New Hampshire, right on a lake, which, uh, yeah, is paradise for Deanna. Yeah, anyone else? Paradise. Anyone else? Top of the mountain. Any mountain or just the mountain? The which mountain? The best mountain. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. Got it. Top of the mountain. Yeah. Anyone else? Paradise, where you've been or someplace that you could imagine. Anyone? Have a, a place that, yeah, John. Yeah. What's that? Italy. Italy. There we go. Italy. Amazing. Wow. I got a couple of affirmations there for Italy. Anyone else? Places that you would say is paradise? Maldives. Yes. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, you know, as I was thinking about this question, what does paradise look like? There's actually this uh, women's fashion magazine called Harper's Bazaar, and they actually have this 50 most beautiful places in the world. And I was looking up these 50 most beautiful places, and I thought I'd show some pictures. And so if you could imagine even just this word of paradise, not only the places that you guys discuss, but imagine um, some of these places that I looked up. So here's the first place. Uh, it's Machu Picchu. Anyone been to Peru, to Machu Picchu? The ancient Incan civilizations right there embedded in the mountains. Isn't that beautiful? I've never been there either. So, but I hear it's beautiful, and it looks absolutely gorgeous. Here's another picture. Check this out. This is the cherry blossoms in Japan. Anyone ever been to Japan during cherry blossom season? Anyone? Neither have I. I haven't been there either. But I hear it's absolutely gorgeous. In fact, you can see these pictures and it's amazing. Now, I realize some of you, you have seasonal allergies and you're like, that does not look like paradise. Um, but it looks pretty, doesn't it? Uh, how about this picture? Check this out. This is Cape Town, South Africa. Beautiful, natural uh, geography, as well as a city embedded. Anyone been there? I haven't either. You've probably noticed the theme here. I haven't been to this place either. But what I've heard about Cape Town, it is absolutely stunning. Here's another picture. Here's Banff uh, up in Canada, uh, which I also hear is absolutely stunning. <laughs> You've got a lake that kind of mirrors the mountains, clear lake. You could probably breathe in paradise up in Banff. 
some of you uh, are like, yeah, that looks absolutely stunning, and it's in Canada, if you ever want to visit there. Here's another picture. Um, I was looking this up, so I haven't been, you've probably noticed this, I haven't been to these places, but they look stunning. These are the Iguazu waterfalls on the border of Argentina and Brazil. It's the largest waterfall system in the world. And so it's stunning. And I don't know if you can look closely. In the bottom right-hand corner, there's actually a rainbow that was captured in this picture. I mean, when you think about paradise, I mean, these are the kinds of images that I think about. Now, some of you are probably like, yeah, you know, like, like Jacob was saying, maybe I'm into more mountain stuff. And I've shown a lot of mountains here. Um, but what about some beach kind of areas, right? Check this out. This is Krabu, Thailand. Uh, a beautiful beach, look at the pristine ocean, and uh, a wonderful place. Anyone here is beach versus mountain, more beach people than mountain? Yes, wow, about half the room. Uh, now, here's another picture. It's not a beach, but look at this. It's the Blue Lagoon up in Iceland. Anyone been to Iceland before? It is absolutely stunning. The Blue Lagoon is this place which, in the middle of this geothermic kind of area, uh, the bright blue color in the midst of volcanoes is really stunning. When I think about paradise, I think of all these different places. And for many of you all, as you were sharing, you probably thought of some of these beautiful places too. Now, I realize some of you are like, ah, oh, you're missing a place on that list, Drew. So don't worry. Here it is. That's right. The original Shake Shack. The original Shake Shack at Madison Square Park. You know what I'm talking about. Was anyone here in New York back when the original Shake Shack opened? And do you remember, yeah, Daryl, the, the long lines that would go on forever. And anyone who lived around Flatiron, they were your, your best friends because you would call them and say, could you just look at the line and tell me if it's empty right now? This is how we used to live in New York, everyone. Some of you, you, you know, you think that Shake Shack has always been around, but no, this is the original one right in Madison Square Park. Some of you are like, yeah, New York City, that is paradise. Now, here's the thing. If I were to ask that question, if you imagine not only one of these scenes and picturesque kind of mountains or beachfronts, but also whatever you imagined or shared about what paradise is. Now, imagine that's paradise, and you were given the option from God, and God was to say to you, actually, you can live there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a home for you. In fact, this home will have all of the best modern technology, air conditioning, warm heating, television screens, technology. You can have whatever you have in paradise. I will give you a ticket by which you can live there for the rest of your life. I mean, isn't that stunning? If you can imagine the gift of paradise. But here's a catch. You can live there but you'll be all alone forever. Now, I know some of you introverts right now, you're like, really? <laughs> that actually sounds like a great deal. <laughs> or if you're a mom of, of toddlers right now, you're probably like, really? Like you gave it a second thought. I know, right? You've been thinking, wow, to have some time by myself, that's amazing. But forever. The reality is, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, every single one of us at one point, probably like when we hear that, there's almost this pang of like, ah, actually, I don't know about that. Forever? To be alone forever? Well, you know what's so startling about the story, the creation story of God, that we believe it's written in this poetic way? 
And in the book of Genesis, we have God who creates the world in all of its beauty. And each day, the poem goes, each day, the first day, things are created. And what God says after each day is it's good, it's beautiful. The second day, the same thing happens. And a whole week goes by, and this is what it says. It basically says, then there was morning, there was evening, and God saw it, and it was good. And at the end of creation, God creates paradise. He creates Eden with all of its lush beauty and greatness, the mountains, the streams, the lakes, the animals. He creates it. And look at what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. It says, he says, he saw all that he had made. And what does he say? It's not only good, it's very good. It's amazing. Now, what's interesting about the, the scriptural account when it comes to the creation of the world of paradise, God creates all these things, and again, there's this rhythm to it that the hearer listens to the rhythm of, yes, God creates this, and it's good. God creates that, and it's good. And then it culminates into, this is very good. And yet, in Genesis chapter 2, there's this moment. It's a bit jarring because in the Hebrew... All we've been hearing is this is good, this is good, this is very good. And then all of a sudden, there's this moment where it says, like, actually, something's not good. And look at what is not good. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Everything is good, but the one thing that is not good is this being completely alone. Now, some of you might look at this verse and be like, oh, I know what the, this verse is about. It's about marriage and about man and woman, and I'm so offended that the word helper is used there because that talks about the subjugation of women and so on and so forth. Well, the Hebrew that word that's used for helper is a word that's regularly used most often for God being a helper to his people, often in a militaristic sense. Uh, how many of you know that women have often been great saviors to men. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but you probably do know that, right? Um, the, the word is not a word that's used for subjugation. It's really a word that's used for being a partner together. And in, in, in the macro sense, yes, it is a passage that's going to talk about Adam and Eve, but really in a macro sense, it's a, it's a, it's a story that talks about community, each other, one another, how we all need one another. You see, because the way that God has created us, and if you don't even have to be a Christian to believe this, is that the most fundamental primal human needs that we have, people would say love, food, water, all these things, but really it is love, companionship, and community. And it's outlined here at the very beginning of the scriptures that everything is good, but the one thing that is not good is to be alone. Because we all need community. In other words, community is an essential way, not just a partial way, not just an optional way, but it's an essential way that we experience God. We need each other to experience God. Now, here's the thing. You could pray. You could read scriptures. All of these are wonderful ways that we experience God. Uh, and yet, community, there's a way that God comes to us through each other, through community, through friendship, through family. That there's no other way that God can come to us. And yet this is the way that God has given to us. To actually experience community. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, there's a word in the Greek and it's the word alelon. And alelon is actually used in the New Testament a hundred times in 97 verses in the New Testament. And the word alelon basically means one another because constantly... 
The exhortations to the people of God was about how we're to live in community with this one anotherness. So there's verses that say, forgive one another, love one another, bear with one another. Time and time again, there's this invitation to be one another for each other. There's a young person who in our church was going through a season of depression, and what was really startling about talking to him was um, he would share with me about what he was going through, and in his season of depression, he just had this view of himself that was so negative towards himself. He would constantly be talking about himself, uh, about the ways in which he didn't measure up. Now, what was so stunning about it, and because he felt like he didn't measure up, he isolated himself. He just didn't want to be around people. And yet, whenever we hung out in a group together, the person was like so well-beloved. Uh, my wife, for instance, whenever she was around him, was just like, ah, oh, I just love it when he's around. And she just had this view of him, like just this exceptional person. And so there was this mismatch, though, between the way that other people viewed him and how he viewed himself. And I remember talking to him about it, and I, I said, hey, like, did you know that the people around you, like, they actually think you're an incredible person. They love having you around. And he's like, no, 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 that's not true. They don't know the real me. I'm like, well, I'm just telling you that what I've experienced of other people around you is that they see you as a joy, as a delight as someone who is worth hanging out with, someone who is kind and friendly and great. In some ways, like, he, 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 couldn't, he couldn't get out of himself to see the reality of who he is. And yet we have each other to remind each other of the presence of God, of being the kind of people who remind each other of the way that God sees us. During my sabbatical, there was this video that I came across uh, from Dove, which is a health and beauty company. And it's a, it, it's a video that I found so stunning as it relates to community and how we see ourselves. So let's cue that video now. I'm a forensic artist. Worked for the San Jose Police Department from 1995 to 2011. I showed up to a place I had never been, and there was a guy with a drafting board. We couldn't see them, they couldn't see us. Tell me about your hair. I didn't know what he was doing, but then I could tell after several questions that he was drawing me. Tell me about your chin. It kind of protrudes a little bit, hmm. especially when I smile. Your jaw. My mom told me I had a big jaw. What would be your most prominent feature? I kind of have a fat, rounder face. The older I've gotten, the more freckles I've gotten. I would say I have a pretty big forehead. Once I get a sketch, I say thank you very much, and then they leave. I don't see them. All I had been told before the sketch was to get friendly with this other woman, Chloe. Today I'm going to ask you some questions about uh, a person you met earlier, and I'm going to ask you some general questions about their face. She was thin, so you could see her cheekbones. And her chin, it was a nice, thin chin. She had nice eyes. They lit up when she spoke. Cute nose. She had blue eyes, very nice blue eyes. 
So here we are. This is the sketch that you helped me create, and that's a sketch that somebody described of you. So yeah, that's... She looks closed off and fatter, sadder too. Mm -hmm. The second one looks more open, friendly, and happy. Mm -hmm. I should be more grateful of my natural beauty. It impacts the choices and the friends that we make, the jobs we apply for, how we treat our children. It impacts everything. It couldn't be more critical to your happiness. Do you think you're more beautiful than you say? Yeah. Yeah. We spend a lot of time as women analyzing and trying to fix the things that aren't quite right. And we should spend more time appreciating the things that we do like. than you think. I remember watching this video earlier this summer and I was just a puddle of tears afterwards, just like. Uh, I grew up in a family where compliments um, were just very sparse. And the reason why was because there was this belief that if any compliments were said to me or to anyone else in our family, it would get to our heads. And so most of the the internal monologue for me is, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not this enough. And so, of course, that, that, that shapes so much of how I viewed myself and now into marriage, and that same script is what's running in my mind as it relates to my relationship with my wife and my relationship with our children. And there's a way in which those same messages, those same haunting messages, just continue to be passed down from generation to generation that don't necessarily mirror the heart of God. But instead are echoes of some of the harshest condemnations that we have for ourselves. I remember there was a season when I was going through depression in my 20s, and I remember it was really hard because, you know, in seasons of depression, my, my natural inclination is to avoid people, right? Like, let me just get away from people. But uh, there was this discipline where my twin brother, he said, hey, Drew, I just, whenever you get into these moments when you are wallowing in all the ways that you think you don't measure up, just give me a call. So I'd call up my twin brother. He's like, hey man, what's up? And I'm like, hey. And immediately he would know, like, this is one of those phone calls. And I'd be like, hey, uh, I don't know, I'm, his name's Peter. Peter, I'm, I'm an okay person, right? 
He's like, yeah, man. You know, okay, person. You're good looking. He would say that as a joke, of course. And uh, I would laugh. You're a great guy. And I'd say, hey, it's okay for me to make mistakes sometimes, right? Like, it's okay that I'm not perfect. And he's like, yeah, 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 of course, man. Like, what we believe about who God is is that God is a God of forgiveness and a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. A God who calls us beloved sons and daughters. And this is how the conversation would go. Just be met with these moments of silence and words that were somehow unwinding all of the ways that I would often think about myself. There's a way that I experience God in, these, in those phone calls. I, I could not experience any other way than with the community of my brother. There's a way that each one of us, and I don't know what the, the scripts are for your life or the ways, those same resounding messages, the stories that you tell yourself, but what if it's true that you're more beautiful than you thought? What if it's true that the way that other people see you can see how precious you are and how wonderful and creating God's image, how that God is for you? And in many ways, the reason why we need each other is because in a world that is often haunting us and taunting us, we need words of people around us that will tell us, yeah, there's a God who sees you and loves you as a son, as a daughter, and celebrates you, forgives you, wants to give you a brand new start today. This is what God does. Now, there's a uniqueness, though, because even if you're not a Christian here, you're probably someone who's like, okay, I resonate with all that you're saying about community. But what makes Christian community so unique? Uh, there's something called the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is this, that in Christian belief, we believe that God is one God, monotheistic, and yet God is three persons. Now, I realize some of you, that's like, what? That doesn't make any logical sense. Well, here's what, the reason why it doesn't make logical sense is because the doctrine of the Trinity is one of those doctrines that we believe that God, by virtue of being God, is so other and different that even God in his nature is beyond human comprehension. So there are ways that we can't fully comprehend who this God is, and that's the doctrine of the Trinity. But what's so stellar about this doctrine of the Trinity, it says that God is one God, God is together, and yet God is three persons. In other words, there's this way that uh, in Christian theology, both the individual is highlighted as well as the community and how they relate together. There's a phrase, and the phrase is alone together. There's a way that communities are meant for each of us to be alone together. Now, there are some cultures that emphasize or overemphasize the individuality of all of us, the rugged individualism. A lot of Western cultures do this. Your name, your first name means more than your last name. And that is way more important than anything else. And as a result, we've created these communities. And I'd say New York City is kind of like that. We're simply a mass of individuals who have been lumped together in this tiny little island who are suffering from incredible loneliness, even though we live just a few feet apart. Isn't it amazing how we live in this city and yet people are extraordinarily lonely? 
And yet part of Christian theology then is we're not meant to simply be individuals. Instead, we're supposed to embody a community together where we share in life's joys and sorrows. Now, some communities tend to overemphasize community where it becomes thought police and everyone must look, feel, and think the same. They're enmeshed, to use a counseling term. And yet one of the beauties of Christian theology is it's, it's not only that we are together in community, but we're also apart. We can be individuals. And the healthy Christian community embodies as people created in God's image as a people who can live in both of these realities of being both alone and being together. And some of us today, the pangs of loneliness are in us. And we need community. One of the reasons why we have everything that we do as a church community, connecting and growing and serving and karaoke nights and city relief and groups and courses, is so that together we could become part of a community together. Now, some of us, maybe you've come from a season where you felt incredibly betrayed or you've been part of a community where you felt like stifled and not, a bit, not able to be your own person. Well, even then, you are invited to slowly come back to community, not as someone who hopefully is, you know, as a community where we're brainwashing everyone, but rather to be part of a community, a healthy community that's alone together. Both of these aspects are needed when it comes to walking out the way that God has created for us. There's an author and a pastor named Chuck Swindoll, and he has this phrase. He says, shared joy is double the joy, and shared sorrow is half the sorrow. I mean, isn't it true, though? Has this ever happened to you? You're watching a game, your favorite team, whether it's the Knicks or the Giants or the Jets. I know, not a lot of great options there, but maybe you were going for another team that was winning a lot, right? And you, have you ever had this moment, right, where you, you're watching a game and you get really excited, something happens, and you're like, you're, but you're watching it alone. Uh, and you're just like, yeah! <laughs> and then what happens, right? You want to text somebody or something, right? Like, why? Because shared joy is double the joy. And on the same token, shared sorrow is half the sorrow. There's a passage in James chapter 5 that's just like the whole one anotherness, alone. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Why? It's because when we share in each other's sorrows, when we're able to have the solidarity, of suffering together, of going through sorrows together, there's a way in which I know every impulse in me is to be away from each other, but that impulse ultimately leads to my own demise because I need other people to be able to reflect back to me. Drew, you're going to make it. Drew, I'm here for you. Drew, God is a God who is for you. The invitation for us and this is what's so, I realize some of you are like, yeah, but Drew, I've been betrayed. Community is hurtful. And I, I realize how painful that can be for some of us. And I, I just want to acknowledge that and say the reason why Jesus has come is to redeem not only individuals, but a whole people group. And the way in this Christian vision of community, it's different. It's to follow the Jesus way of how we do community. Now, again, while acknowledging that pain and trauma and difficulty and betrayal is, is present and has been present for some of us, look at the invitation of the way of Jesus, how when it's talked about the way that Jesus lives and how we are to be to one another, at least aspirationally, check this out, 
Philippians chapter 2, it says, therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. So in other words, if you ever find compelling the person of who Jesus is, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Do you see See how fundamentally this is different than the way of New York. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What is that mindset? Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, some of you are like, oh my goodness, you're, you're asking us to become nothing servant. But look at what happens to Jesus. In the midst of humbling himself, there's an incredible self power and selfhood that's given to Jesus. Look what it says Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and, on, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, there's this invitation that the way that we do Christian community is different than the ways of the world. That we are a people who, having been a people who see ourselves as beloved by God, who are here to dispense blessing and words of kindness over one another, that in the midst of it, we end up being a people who look out for our brothers, our sisters, our neighbors, our city. We're people who hopefully the ways that we are, we are people who become the mouthpieces of God to each other. We're to forgive one another. We're to walk with one another in this alone together dynamic. I'd like to invite all of us to stand. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward. Here's what I recognize. I recognize that there are some people in this room where honestly, like in a city like this, yeah, loneliness is a real thing. Some of us are longing for friendship and for people that will come alongside of us and for people that will, yes, speak words of life over us. Maybe you're someone who's like, I don't have anyone to call right now. Or maybe you just moved to the city and really what you have been looking for is a community of friends that would become family. And today, maybe it's just a reminder, what if it's an invitation for you to make this step of saying, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of in that season. I, I think I, I, need, I need a community. Others of you, things are going well. In fact, they're going swimmingly well. And for others of you, maybe the call or the invitation for you is to be that voice on the other line of the phone call, the person who's here to be able to say to those around you, maybe people who feel like they are in the pit, to say to them, hey, you're not alone and you're actually more beautiful than you think. You're actually someone who's made in the image of God and you're going to get through this and I'm with you. And maybe, who knows, maybe the, the reason why you came today so that wherever you are on that journey or that spectrum, whether you're someone who needs those words spoken over you or whether you're someone who today is a day where you could be someone who dispenses those words, 
And it's through those words that the person that you share with ends up experiencing the fullness of God. Yes, we can sing as many songs as we can. We can pray. But what if today was a day for you to dispense those words to someone who needs to hear it and through that to experience the wonder, the joy, the affirmation, the glory of God over each one of our lives?